listening to Doing Law Differently, a podcast that explores how leaders in law are thinking outside the box and challenging the status quo. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as we discover how the world's most progressive law firms and law companies are doing law differently. Welcome back to Doing Law Differently. I am your host, Lucy Dickens, and you're listening to episode 11 of the Doing Law Differently podcast. Can't believe we're at episode 11 already. It still feels brand new, but also feels like we've been going forever. It's kind of one of those funny situations here. I'm excited to share that during the first 10 episodes, this podcast hit the top 10 of the podcast charts in the management category in Australia, which is pretty cool for a brand new podcast. I wasn't paying any attention to the charts. And so this happened early on and I had no idea. So I'm quite happy about that. And thank you to those of you who listened and who continue to listen, and especially to those of you who share the podcast with your friends and your colleagues, of course. Now, I'm excited today to be talking to a firm that is the original alternative legal services provider. I'm joined by two wonderful ladies from LOD, who are previously known as Lawyers on Demand. LOD is one of the world's largest and fastest growing legal risk and compliance services businesses. They have over 800 professionals and 13 offices globally, so they're pretty big. Where do I go with that in just 20 minutes? Well, I thought I would start local and stick with Australia And also to focus on an aspect that quite surprisingly, we haven't really touched on much yet, and that is technology. So I'm joined by Amanda Fadgerman and Claire Vines, both of who work for LOD out of Melbourne. Amanda is the legal tech guru. Her proper title is head of legal technology, and she is the product lead for LOD365, which is a really interesting operating system that Amanda touches on towards the end of the interview, which basically draws on functionality that most of us probably already have in our Microsoft Office suite. Claire is also a techie type and a former lawyer. Her expertise is in automation and legal tech more broadly, and she's the head of research and development at LOD. It was lovely to speak to both Amanda and Claire together. They job share in their role at LOD. So when I approached them for an interview, they said, yes, but we'd like to do it together, which is actually really nice. And I had a really enjoyable conversation, which was a lot of fun, but also a lot of value because they definitely had a lot to share. So enjoy. Amanda and Claire, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's going to be fun chatting to the two of you. Now, let's start with LOD more generally, because I think a lot of our listeners will have heard of you and know about your business as being a new law pioneer, but perhaps not quite understand what it is that your business does. So can you give us the quick, this is who LOD is and what we do? Yeah. So LOD is a global legal company, a legal services company. And where it sees itself within the market is it's one of the world's largest and fastest growing legal risk compliance services business. So we don't see ourselves as a traditional law firm or a traditional new law business. We see ourselves as a legal consultancy. So where we have our consulting services are managed services, which is with people. We have the innovation design team, which we're part of. Mm -hmm. And then we also have What's our third team? People. People, sorry. And that's just pure secondment, so sending lawyers out to clients, whereas the managed services is more about alternative legal models such as virtual law firm or virtual lawyers. That's us in a nutshell. LOD is the original alternate legal services provider established around about 2007, and we have about 800 people in about 13 offices globally. So we're a relatively 
biggish company in this space. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that little intro. And the part that I want to focus on with you, because obviously you're both into tech, so I want to talk to you about tech. There's lots of ways we could have taken this conversation because there's lots of things that LOD are doing differently but let's go tech one of the reasons why I want to do that is because surprisingly I haven't actually spent that much time on this podcast talking about technology which is what a lot of people expect of me when I tell them that this is what I'm doing because people think innovation in law equals tech which it doesn't but for the purposes of today it will because I want to talk tech so Claire you told me when we were preparing that LOD want to lead the way in AI-led legal operations I see AI as a bit of a buzzword because it's about making machines that act like humans and software learning from patterns of data. And I always recall whenever I'm talking about artificial intelligence, I think back to a conference I was at where I can't remember who the speaker was, but they said along the lines of what we see as AI today isn't AI tomorrow because it becomes so ingrained and natural and we start to take it for granted that it's actually no longer special enough us to call it AI. So I'm interested in what AI means for you and at LOD and what are some examples of how you're using it? Okay, so agreed. It is a massive buzzword and it's one that all of the tech and legal services and all the law services providers love to just trot out AI. So what it means to us is actually using machines to do a job for humans. Now, whether or not that means process automation, robotic process automation where it's making decisions but it's still within a structured environment or what I'm going to call intelligent process automation which is true decision making as if it is a human with expertise and learning etc. Where we see ourselves and where we want to be different is that we find when we speak to clients a lot they want to use AI etc but they are not actually ready to start applying these technologies to mass data sets they don't know how to train the data or where they can get their data. So where we are pushing and where we want to go is we want to develop products that allow clients to essentially just plug and play. So one of the things that we're developing at the moment is, I guess, an AI network that takes a certain number of factors or vectors to calculate a particular assessment of where a lawyer's skills are at. So that's something that we're working on at the moment. And what we'd like to do is introduce that to clients and say, look, if you give us the data, we can come back with a technology that can give you AI relatively easily and simply within your company. As to what it means, agreed, there's no one definition. It's just anything that mimics the human process or brain. Mm-hmm. And I'll add to that, I heard a quote recently, which is IA before AI. And so IA refers to information architecture. And before you can get to a point where you are actually using AI, you actually need to understand data. And so the information architecture is what underpins the data, how the data is structured, what fields there may be, what options, what drop-downs there are. And you really need to get a sense of the site navigation or the number of metadata fields that are associated with that data in order for you to have any sort of value out of or insights from that data. Yeah, I have this with my the software developer at our firm. I go to him with my Lucy, you know, this is my description of what I want to achieve. And he's like, yeah, 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 okay, but let's bring this back because you've got this long text field and I need it in this format, this format, this format. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) I see where you're going with that. Give me some examples of how you're using AI. You mentioned this lawyer skill set. That sounds interesting. Tell us about that. So that is a product that's currently in development and essentially, without giving away too many trade secrets, it's essentially looking through our database of people who have all obviously consented and 
quickly finding a match for a job with a client, with a lawyer. And it's not doing traditional work matching, not doing traditional skills matching. What it's trying to do is take this 180 or so vectors and decide whether or not that person will be a good fit. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to actually use AI to get beyond traditional matching. So there's a number of different ways that it does that, but essentially it's scoring the person based on these 180 different factors and then coming back with whether or not they're a match. So what we're hoping to do is move beyond skills-based matching Mm. or just word for word. So they say they need commercial, this person has commercial in their resume or mentioned it once. We want to move beyond that. Like let the AI pick the right lawyer as opposed to just the right set of words matching. So what kind of things are you matching or is that the secret that you can't give away? That's the secret. I can't give Okay, away. damn. We'll have to come back in a little while once it's been released. We'll, once we'll, it's been we'll released. Yeah. One of the things that won't, it doesn't give away too much, it actually looks at the length of time that a person stayed within roles, length of time okay. that they're part of it. And in particular, relevant to what we were just talking about and relevant to this podcast, is it specifically does not take into account whether or not the person can work full-time or they've had large breaks. Oh, nice. The reason for that is that within the Seconde workforce, 90% women um, and 90% return to work, uh, roughly. I mean, that's just a guesstimate, but within our database, 90% return to work women. If you have a piece of AI excluding them on the basis that they've had large gaps or can't work full-time, you're completely removing a whole lot of skilled people. Yeah. Which uh, also the point that they had time off work or that they can't work full time doesn't affect in any way their skill set. So leaving that part aside, but yeah. So Amanda, your role involves designing legal workflow, document and contract automation. Now this part excites me because as I mentioned before, this is a lot like what I do, except I think you actually do the tech bit and I just do the, this is what I want it to look like bit. So tell us more about what you do, um, particularly with workflow design. How do you approach that? Sure. So a bit of it is, this is what I want to happen. And the very first step is consulting with clients and saying, what are your requirements? What is a problem that you want to solve rather than finding a piece of technology and then finding a problem that the technology solves? Yes. There is no single magic bullet of technology that solves every single problem. It's about working with the clients to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, improving that process, improving their templates and only then looking to technology to supercharge that process. Mm. So it may be that we'll look at their, they'll come to us with 50 templates that they want to automate and we'll work with them to reduce those templates by asking them, why do you need so many? Why is that clause there? Let's start with middle of the ground terms. Let's look at the way your business operates. How many times are you on third-party terms? Do you really need a precedent because you never have the bargaining power to use your terms in the first place? Do you really need the difference between medium, major and minor subcontracts when there's only a slight variation in an indemnity clause? Do you really need an indemnity clause in the first place? Can you just contract on purchase order terms and conditions? And then looking at their workflow and saying, do you really need to go through that many processes of approval before a contract's signed? And looking to improve that, streamline that, um, automate a, for instance, sign-off summary sign-off sheet so that the data is only being manually entered once to reduce the amount of duplication of data and reduce the risk of error. And so through automating, you're not only improving the speed to contract, which then has a return impact on improving cash flow because you've increased the time to business, you're also capturing data 
through that process, which you can then use for reporting and analytics to say, how many times are we contracting with that party? Do we already have an NDA in place with that company? How many times have we negotiated that clause? We should, we're always going back to our fallback position. Let's put that fallback position in our contract in the first place. We've contracted with that party 50 times this year. We should leverage bargaining power with them and come up with a master services agreement with them. So you're really getting some insights from the data. You've reduced the risk in the sense that the lawyers can say to their business, here's the link which will automate your contract. I've built in predetermined triggers so that if you do deviate from our standard terms, it will fire off an approval only when needed so that lawyers have the comfort in knowing that the business isn't going rogue and the business has comfort in knowing that they can self-serve any time of day, automate their contract And it really is then an end-to-end service because you can generate your contract, negotiate with your other term, insert your fallback positions that have been pre-approved by legal, automate your contract summary form through to execution. So we can really integrate with every single step of the way in an improved process. I was smiling a lot when you were talking through that because that's very similar to the kind of work that I do. So I can definitely relate and particularly at the beginning. And I really like that you say that you're starting with the process and what do they actually need as opposed to just here's some fancy technology, which is actually something, a conversation I've had quite a few times on this podcast, but one that I think is important to remind people of because when you're not in that position and you're thinking about starting out with change, the easy place to look is what can technology do for me? And that's what a lot, I call it a trap that a lot of people fall into. They say, here's this fancy cool new app and it can do, you know, automate my contracts, but they don't actually go back and say, why am I automating my contracts and what am I using? And do I actually need this to be automated? Like you say, do I need three? Can I have one? People kind of skip over that step. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, from both our sides, even though we are innovation and design and we're legal technology and R&D, we are technology last, process improvement first, internal infrastructure second, and then technology if you need it. It's kind of like those deep sea fish that have the shiny little uh, bauble on the end of their nose and the little fish comes along, grabs it and gets eaten. Uh, so on, on Finding it, Nemo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what happens. And people get wedded into these technologies. They've got three-year contracts, it's not cloud-based, it's not flexible, and it still doesn't change the fact that their contract was poorly written in the first place. And so the, the, the sort of our key point of difference is that we're not a software vendor, we're not trying to sell a product, and what often people miss is they've bought expensive software because they've been sold bells and whistles, and then there's no post-sale implementation support, there's no change management. And that is such a big part of any technology implementation guiding people through the process so that they understand what's in it for them, doing it at not a big bang approach to change, but small incremental changes. Um, And so the actual implementation plan, the communication plan, these are all key aspects where as consultants, the two of us will add value to a client as they approach their automation or technology journey. What kind of response have you had to that from the clients you've worked with? Generally very good. Oh, it does take a little bit of convincing. We do get a lot of a lot of questions around, well, that's nice, but tell us what technology to use. Yeah. Um, like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I still want to buy software. Which one should we buy? We're like, no, 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 that's not our message. <laughs> um, so overall, very positive. 
Um, I think as well because a lot of lawyers, and this is our experience because Amanda and I are both still practising lawyers as well, but a lot of lawyers have a little bit of um, a taste in their mouth or are not a fan of the idea of a consultant. They're like, oh, I can do this myself. You could. You absolutely could if you had the time, if you had the expertise and you don't have either. So overall the response has been incredibly positive, yep. but we definitely do need to take our clients on the journey because there is that just that kind of knee-jerk reaction, slap some technology on it and then we'll fix it. It's interesting you mentioned that about lawyers' reluctance to engage a consultant. I've I see that too. And I think especially what's especially important about that, and like you say, yeah, you could figure it out for yourself, but it's about prioritizing it and finding the time and then actually implementing it. And that's always the hard bit. People can come up with a plan and they can to some extent figure it out. You know, we're not or technology gurus like you, but they can have a go like me. I can have a go and go yeah. and tell my guy this is what I need. But it's the implementation and outside help really is what makes the difference there that's right and it's certainly you need the right you need the headspace mm. in order to carry it through effectively and efficiently mm. rather than a big bang approach to let's just do this yeah and the email lawyers they should be using it for their company's benefit as in they know the business they know the potential risk portfolio etc they can advise on specific company decisions whereas we're not best placed to do that but we can tell you how to best do your processes or your contracts so do you find this workflow process and or document automation process works best when it's done in conjunction with the lawyers who are actually providing the service yes we would generally insist on it some clients will ask that the lawyers not be involved in the process and we will absolutely say we'll work in whatever way you need but overall an ideal starting place for us is a preliminary workshop with the lawyers involved and also their key clients yes so a big thing for lawyers is developing their business case, getting buy-in from the other business units that need to be part of that technology. So, for example, one client will say, we want to automate the legal process, but procurement have their own system and they need to use their software so we can only automate mm-hmm. the system from X to Y. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that does present some challenges. We really need to bring those internal clients into the journey with us, whether it's procurement or marketing, so that the lawyers understand how they're receiving instructions. How can we improve the accuracy of those instructions to reduce that loop of going backwards and forwards before they can start work? What can those internal clients do themselves so that the lawyers don't need to do some of that low-value, low-risk work if there can be some self-service tools available to those internal business clients? So there's getting the change of management piece across for those internal business clients to say we're not just passing a whole lot of workload off our plate and onto yours but we've got a legal strategic plan that sets out what we should be spending our time on business units typically don't mind having a playbook to say oh great I can do this because I understand this contract because it's written in plain English and I know what I can and can't change Mm -hmm. Um, so they there have been has been a great response to to that approach bringing them along the journey. Can you give us an example of a project that you've worked on and what kind of changes you've made and what improvements you've seen? Let's talk about a couple. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll do it unnamed, so we'll call yeah, of course. the ASX, mining comp- ASX listed mining company who came to us with a very small legal team with diversified mine sites across Australia that all ran very siloed approach to contract management. But they were all coming to legal with the same questions. And the general counsel said to us, I'm getting slammed with work. And so we went through a process of looking at the activities and the services that that service provided and really dug down deep into 
how many times do you need to use variations of your goods and services agreement? Can we reduce the number of templates? Can we contract on POs? And so they got to a point where, look, if steel gets delivered and it's faulty, they don't need a 200-page supply agreement because that company will replace the steel if it's faulty. Mm. So that can just get done on PO. So it was essential to go through that process to improve their template suite before we went to automate. And then we looked at the repetition of those contracts, how many times are they being used? We rolled out the new templates first manually. So that was the first incremental change. And only once the business had gotten used to them manually did we then look to automate them. And we actually achieved a result where we reduced the number of templates from something like 25 down to eight with one goods and services parent contract managing to spin off eight or nine different variations depending on whether or not it was an IT or drilling or services only. Because through the series of questions that we ask in a questionnaire, it can pull in the right clauses relevant to that contract. Mm. Uh, That has reduced the turnaround time and I think the client has estimated projecting the savings up to $1.4 million. The, the client has also managed to have a central workspace or a central point for anyone in the business to come to with how-to guides, self-help guides, yeah. how to get a contract signed, how to engage professional services. So what started off with a requirement through an iterative design has really morphed into a central point for self-service and FAQs. And so it really is the go-to hub for anyone in the business to answer all their legal questions. I love that. I've spoken before about the spectrum of legal services from the DIY to like the full spectrum traditional lawyer. And what I'm seeing is that the shift is starting to move down more towards the DIY. It means that we're sort of more in the middle than we were traditionally at the right-hand side because where our clients can help themselves, we can help them to help themselves and that actually makes our jobs easier. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I, I think the shift is predominantly, and I like I cannot stand all these robots that are going to replace lawyers and there's no job for lawyers <laughs> and all that kind of jazz because that's it's simply not true. But where we are seeing a shift and where we should see a shift is you as a lawyer should not be doing anything that a computer can do for you. Yes, people like to talk about robots replacing lawyers, but at the end of the day, the quality or the ability of you as a human person to provide expert advice is far advanced than a piece of technology. The ability of you to pick a set of options and generate a document compared to a piece of software, is the software is far more advanced than you are. So use your te- technology correctly. And so that's where we like to get our lawyers out of is like you don't need to be deciding which liability cause to use, et cetera. You need to step in when there's, a, for example, an argument or you need to step in when mm-hmm. there's litigation, whatever it is. Like take yourself away from the weeds and the nitty-gritty and get into the fun legal stuff. Yeah. And that's exactly the question I ask myself. Whenever I do something, I say, is this a task that the computer could be doing for me? And that's my judgment call as to whether or not to automate. Our goal is to move lawyers away from the cesspit of misery towards the playground of happiness. Oh, I like that. (laughs) There's a quote, and I cannot attribute the author of the quote, but I should Google it and look it up, which is technology is not going to replace lawyers, but lawyers who use technology are going to replace those who don't. Yes, I've heard that quote. That yeah, is probably yeah. something rather afflicted. I will find that. Okay. We met. Okay, great. So I have to ask, what technology are you using to do all these wonderful things? On my side, we use a number of different no-code platforms, but more so we have our own software developers. 
Mm-hmm. So that's on the pure automation AI side. Whereas Amanda. So as Claire mentioned, we use a lot of no-code platforms that are really powerful tools. And depending on the clients coming to us and saying, we want a contract automation tool, or we want a workflow automation tool, or we want a tool that can do expert reasoning and expert logic, we will then help advise them which is the best tool to use. And sometimes it can be as simple as, is the server based in Australia or not? And that can cut out a large portion of the vendors on the market. What I'm doing personally is actually launching what we're calling LOD365. We're finding a lot of companies are using Office 365 anyway. They're Microsoft. They've got Microsoft licenses. And there can be a lot that can be achieved using the technology that the business already has. So it may not be Microsoft. They may come to us and say, we use Jira for ticketing, the IT team. We'd like to use that as a central front door for all legal requests as well. And so that's fine. Use the technology that your company already has. But we will help them design what that data capture looked like, what that intake form might look like using that technology because the IT teams traditionally don't have the time or the resources to dedicate to the legal department. Or an understanding. Mm-hmm. Or an understanding. Yeah, or prioritise it. That's yeah. often what it is. They could do it. It's just it never makes it to the top of the list. Exactly. So we would say we're kind of quasi-software agnostic. So if the client wants yeah. to use something, we'll use it. Always recommend it to the client first to use what you've got. And that is one of the biggest things that's driving our LOD365 product is, well, lawyers love working in Microsoft Office. Why not use what you've got? Let's make it the best possible working experience, building off something you're familiar with, which, of course, in turn will help user adoption and change management and all those kind of things. So one of the products in development is a matter management tool using Office 365 because there's so much power in Microsoft Um, It's supported by Microsoft, so they're constantly rolling out upgrades and features. And we're hearing a lot of clients coming to us now. And the the key trend we've seen over the last 12 months has been the idea of knowledge management, document management, and matter management. And we see that all those boxes can get ticked through using Microsoft Flow, Power Apps, and SharePoint. And by virtue of the fact that you've got an Office 365 license, you've traditionally got those tools available to you. So you can automate an intake form using forms or power apps. You can automate, you can have a central source of knowledge for all your documents and matters in SharePoint. But you can then really leverage a cloud tool that has online collaboration, version history, etc. And within power apps, you can track the status of matters so that there's central visibility and data capture in relation to the work that the legal team is working on. This is exciting. And especially for smaller operators who aren't backed by big global business and can't afford to test out this software that doesn't actually do what they need it to do because they were attracted by the bells and whistles. But where can they go to learn more about that? I know you said it's under development, but where will we find the updates? You can either contact myself or Claire at LOD, probably direct you to the website, um, mm-hmm. lodlaw.com. I'll link your profiles in the show notes as well so they can yeah but that sounds exciting I think that sounds really wonderful I'll ask you both can you give me one piece of advice for people listening who are wanting to do law differently I need thinking time you go first I need thinking time as well you know I know I know what I always say to clients I think this will be my okay so my piece of advice for lawyers or even people who work with lawyers who want to do things differently is just simply don't accept the status quo And there is always a way of doing something differently. And it's probably free and it's probably on the internet. So just Google it. Or Microsoft by the sounds of it. 
Yeah, my advice would be just to start. And as Claire said, you need to have a tinkering mindset. And traditionally, if you have the insight into your own personal limit drivers, you understand that lawyers are traditionally perfectionists, we're resistant to change, and we don't like uncertainty and ambiguity. And I think for any lawyer who wants to do law differently, they do have to have a growth mindset to be able to dive into the unknown with faith that they will get something out of the process, even if it's not a tangible result, and to avoid the tendency for perfectionism over a risk myth that may or may not actually end up ever eventuating. Sounds like some great advice there. And engage some consultants so you actually get it done. Can I, shall I add that for you? Yes. Sure. And, and come to LAD. Come to LAD. <laughs> awesome. Nice pitch. Thank you, ladies. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible. So do send them over. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au.